0: Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Grant us, Lord our God, that we may honour you with all our mind, and love everyone in truth of heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for
1: ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like myself from among yourselves, from your own brothers. To him you must listen. This is what you yourselves asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. Do not let me hear again, you said, the voice of the Lord my God, nor look any longer on this great fire, or I shall die. And the Lord said to me, All they have spoken is well said. I will raise up a prophet like yourself for them from their own brothers. I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall tell them all I command him. The man who does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name shall be held answerable to me for it. But the prophet who presumes to say in my name a thing I have not commanded him to say, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
1: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
2: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
1: Come, ring out our joy to the Lord. Hail the God who saves us. Let us come before him giving thanks. With songs let us hail the Lord.
2: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
1: Come in, let us bow and bend low. Let us kneel before the God who made us. For he is our God, and we the people who belong to his pasture, the flock that is led by his hand.
2: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
1: Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Harden not your hearts, Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the desert, when your fathers put me to the test, when they tried me, though they saw my work.
2: If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. I would like to see you free from all worry. An unmarried man can devote himself to the Lord's affairs. All he need worry about is pleasing the Lord, but a married man has to bother about the world's affairs and devote himself to pleasing his wife. He is torn two ways. In the same way, an unmarried woman, like a young girl, can devote herself to the Lord's affairs. All she need worry about is being holy in body and spirit. The married woman, on the other hand, has to worry about the world's affairs and devote herself to pleasing her husband. I say this only to help you not to put a halter around your necks, but simply to make sure that everything is as it should be and that you give your undivided attention to the Lord. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: Alleluia, alleluia. A people in darkness have seen a great light. A radiant dawn shines on those lost in death. Alleluia.
0: The Lord be with you.
2: And with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark.
2: Glory to you, O Lord.
0: Jesus and his disciples went as far as Capernaum. And as soon as the Sabbath came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. And his teaching made a deep impression on them because, unlike the scribes, He taught them with authority. In their synagogue, just then, there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, and it shouted, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said sharply, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions, and with a loud cry went out of him. The people were so astonished that they started asking each other what it all meant. Here is a teaching that is new, they said, and with authority behind it. He gives orders even to unclean spirits, and they obey him. And his reputation rapidly spread everywhere through all the surrounding Galilean countryside. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: So we're right here at the start of Mark's Gospel. And Jesus enters into the synagogue and begins to teach. And the words of Jesus clearly have a powerful impact on the hearers. And, you know, they make a comparison here between Jesus and the scribes. They say, look, Jesus teaches with authority. The scribes, they don't. Now, We mustn't think that this is just a difference in the quality of the teaching, that, you know, maybe Jesus is just better at expressing himself. Maybe he just makes himself a little bit clearer. No, no, no. There's something fundamentally different about what Jesus is doing compared to the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they only ever supplied an interpretation of the word of God. And I mean, like, who could possibly claim to possess the authoritative meaning of the word? So, you know, they'd teach an opinion. They would quote the rabbis under whom they studied, who quoted the rabbis under whom they studied, until, you know, they arrived back at the one who received the Torah in the first place, you know, Moses. And so the scribes and Pharisees were right in being humble about merely presenting an interpretation of the scriptures. Each can only supply a perspective, an interpretation, a particular understanding. No scribe or Pharisee would have the arrogance to state definitively, like, this is what the word of God means. Jesus, however, he doesn't teach like that. He doesn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. He teaches with authority, and clearly it stands out to the crowd. Who can possibly claim to possess the authoritative meaning of the word of God? It would seem that Jesus makes this claim. This isn't simply Jesus claiming to have a better interpretation of the Torah than the other interpreters, but that, in fact, he is the word of God made flesh. Jesus doesn't need to quote the preceding rabbis in order to draw upon the authority of Moses, who was the first hearer of the word. No, Jesus is able to speak from his own authority precisely because of who he is. No one can definitively know the meaning of God's word but God himself. And Jesus claims the authority to know the meaning of God's word. And thus, kind of implicitly makes the claim to divinity. And it's startling, and the hearers are deeply affected by the difference between Jesus and the scribes. Now, it's here that the Greek word for authority becomes a bit enlightening. The word used by the gospel is exousia. And so it's a combination of the word ex, meaning out of or from, and ousia, which means being. The one who has authority, therefore, is one who speaks and acts out of his being, who he is. A king has authority because of who he is. A policeman has authority because of who he is. Speaking authoritatively means to speak out of one's own being. Jesus authoritatively proclaims the word of God, not because he's very smart, or has unlocked the secrets of the scriptures, he teaches authoritatively because he is speaking from his very being as the Son of God, as the Word made flesh. Now, what's interesting is that from the book of Deuteronomy, the first reading that we had today, um, we hear that there's this expectation that from Moses will come a prophet. Listen again. Moses said to the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like myself from among yourselves, from your own brothers. To him you must listen. So there grew up this expectation that after Moses would come a new prophet, a kind of definitive prophet, the one who would really speak God's word. And, you know, we can see that this fulfillment comes in Jesus, but in an unexpected way. Jesus isn't just another Moses who, you know, passes on what he hears. He's not just another prophet who communicates God's word. No, he is the word made flesh. This isn't just a matter of, hey, look, God told me this to tell to you. Hearing Jesus is to hear the word. Now, what's interesting about this prophecy from Deuteronomy is the fact that it's the people themselves who've actually asked for this prophet, for this gift. Listen again. Moses points this out. He says, This is what you yourselves asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on Sinai, right, on the day of the assembly. You said, Do not let me hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor look any longer on this great fire, or I shall die. And so, you know, there's this intense experience that the people of God have at the base of Mount Sinai of hearing the peals of thunder and the voice of God and of beholding this fiery burning bush of the presence of God. And it's all too much. And so this prophet will act as the mediator of the presence of God to the people. And that's Jesus. We encounter the presence of God now, not in the burning bush, but In the face of Jesus. And we hear his word, not mediated through Moses, but spoken to us through the voice of Jesus in a synagogue in Capernaum. Here is a teaching that is new. Here is a teaching that is authoritative because it comes from the being of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that the observation of the crowd is this. They say, here is a teaching that is new, they said, and with authority behind it. He gives orders even to unclean spirits, and they obey him. So, clearly, the crowd now have put together these two things, the preaching of Jesus and the power of his word to cast out devils. It's Jesus' word which teaches them authoritatively, And it is Jesus' authoritative word which commands the obedience of the unclean spirits. And so clearly there's something about Jesus' word that makes it unlike others. His word of teaching is authoritative. It doesn't draw on the authority of others for its justification. And Jesus' word of command accomplishes what it declares. Jesus says flatly, be quiet, come out of him. And that's exactly what happens. Now, that's a characteristic of God's speech, right? When we read the first account of creation in the book of Genesis, right, we see the power of God's word. We read, "'God said, let there be light,' and there was light." God said, let there be a vault through the middle of the waters to divide the waters in two. And so it was Let the waters under heaven come together into a single mass and let dry land appear. And so it was. See, when God speaks, reality changes. Why? Because he's the creator. He's God. You see, you know, for us human beings, like for other creatures, um, we can speak and, and describe reality. Uh, But, you know, it's only within very narrow parameters that we can actually change reality by simply saying something. I mean, I could say, you know, let there be a Mars bar in my hand, but the only way that's going to happen is if uh, some kind person overhears me and actually gives me one. Reality doesn't obey my word. And yet, Jesus addresses the unclean spirit and says, be quiet, come out of him. And so it was... Creation obeys the word of Jesus because it is at the same time the word of God. None of the scribes or Pharisees possess that authoritative word. It belongs only to God, who has authority over creation. And so the crowd, they put these two events together because they clarify the authority of the one who's speaking. Jesus teaches with authority and his word has power. Both of these features of the word of Jesus are on display and they speak of his authority. He speaks exousia, from his being, because his being is God. So that's great, that's lovely, right? But the word authority these days carries with it a pretty strong negative connotation. Authority is a risk because it's prone to being abused. I mean, how easily and how often has authority descended into authoritarianism? and we've learnt to treat authority as a risk and you know democracy puts in checks and balances so that those with authority don't succumb to corruption you know we ask for transparency and you know we make sure that those invested with authority are held accountable and so the fundamental principle of our democratic society is that those who govern with authority are ultimately responsible to those who are governed the potential abuse of authority tends to make us suspicious of authority. And so, you know, we might be a little bit uncomfortable even with the word itself. We come with our suspicion of authority and our suspicion of God with the question, is God prone to corruption? Is God prone to exercise his authority in favor of himself at my expense? Because where are the checks and balances over God? God doesn't rule with my permission, like, you know, the prime minister rules with my permission, with my vote. So, you know, am I completely vulnerable to the rule of a potential dictator? Is God's authority my ultimate threat? Well, it's interesting to see how Jesus exercises his authority in the gospel today. First, he teaches the people authoritatively. And we're told that it makes a deep impression on them. And then Jesus exercises his authority by casting out an unclean spirit. And the voice of that unclean spirit cries out, he says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It's an interesting question. And what's the response? Surely the answer is, yes. Christ has come to destroy the dominion of evil evil which would seek to exert its authority over the world, this evil will be cast out. And this is an important realisation for each one of us, and it's the dawning of a renewed faith. Christ hasn't come to destroy us, but to destroy all that will hold us captive. He proclaims liberty to captives, freedom from the dominion of evil. The authority exercised by Christ is exercised in love and in our favour. Christ comes among us to correct the authority over humanity. Sin and death would seek to hold us captive. But the kingdom of God, the authority of God, comes in order to set us free. And here we enter upon a paradox. Obedience to God makes us Free. Placing ourselves under his authority is liberating. God's authority isn't a risk because he exercises his governance in favor of those who need his governance. His authority isn't a threat to us because his love guarantees that he's not authoritarian. And so we're invited into a new kingdom to place ourselves under a new king. A king indeed with authority and who will act on our behalf. He will deal with our enemies and bring us peace and freedom. His power doesn't threaten or diminish us, he is here for us. How much more earnestly then must we pray that his kingdom come, that his will be done, that indeed God's authority would loose our captivity to every evil. Because indeed, he has sent his Son in order to destroy all evil. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.